and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Stephanie Malik, And I am Kaya Green. And today we're talking about uh, a fictional superhero team, one of uh, several, but this one is featured in American comic books published by Marvel Comics. You can tell I'm reading this because I don't know much about it, but... <laughs> Which is great. Which is I'm great. so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so uh, this features numerous adolescent characters who typically have connections established... Uh, connection to established members of Marvel's primary superhero team, the Avengers. We are talking about the Young Avengers today. The Young today. Avengers. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, is that just the Avengers, but Young, wrong. No, that's not what it is. I mean, I imagine that they're thinking, yeah, obviously we know this. Why are you reading the Wikipedia entry for what this <laughs> oh, is? Oh, you also might be thinking that depending on where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, Kaya, what do you know about the Young Avengers? Oh, so little, um, which is great. I, I mean, the thing is with most comics, I, I'm somebody who wishes they were a comic fan, but uh, has not had the access to a lot of things. So the few comics I've read, I love, um, but this isn't one that has ever come across my path. So I know that the uh, the team is a bunch of kids who were sort of uh, pulled together because they all had various superpowers, um, and they kind of mimic the real Avengers, or the older Avengers, whatever that would be called. In this old year. Avengers. Old Avengers. <laughs> ancient Avengers. That actually sounds dope. Anyway, uh, I know there's like... Uh, parallels there, uh, but that they're sort of their own team that have their own dynamics. I also know that they've been very celebrated for queer representation, which is awesome. Yes. Uh, always a big fan of that, which makes me immediately want to read them. And that is pretty much the extent of my knowledge. So I am stoked for this episode. Yeah, I I just know it's gay. I know there's it's just it's got some gay stuff in it, and that it, makes me excited. Honestly, I that's the reason I've watched most of the things in my life. Yeah, I you're watch. not wrong. It is it is a draw. Um, but we yeah, love gay. I researching this. Yeah, I truly didn't know very much about it, which is always fun. Yeah. It's always a fun thing coming into a fandom and prepping for an episode. That being said, because we knew not much about it going in. These questions may be fully off the rails. So we'll see. We'll, we hope that we've captured the general introduction to it, um, but I'm excited. You know who does know a lot about this? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Us. No, uh, it's our guest. Our, it's our, me. It's our guest. Anthony Oliveira is a National Magazine and GLAAD award-winning author, film programmer, uh, film programmer, pop culture critic, and PhD living in Toronto. His work spans comics, prose, journalism, academic research. He does live screenings in Toronto. Uh, with Dumpster Cinema, I believe it's called? Dumpster, Dumpster Raccoon. Dumpster Raccoon. How could I forget the word raccoon? It's yeah. literally one of my favorite animals. Yeah, you were just saying. It's on your Instagram. Come on, Steph. They're uh, great. They have little hands. They're they nocturnal. Little, they yeah. can do so much. Yeah. They wash their food before they eat it. Yeah, I love them. It's They're adorable. very cute. Uh, <laughs> and his, right to, I think. His first novel, Day Spring, is forthcoming from Strange Light Press in 2023. Anthony, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I feel like I've been biting my tongue and chuckling on the mic this whole time. But hi. <laughs> <laughs> it must be painful for your fandom <laughs> to be introduced in such a way where you're like, that's not it. No, that's, that's, that's not that, it. That's that not is, the vibe. as a writer, it's my favorite thing to be like, let me, I mean, even when I was teaching, it's like, my favorite thing in the world is like, let me teach you how to love something. Like, oh. that is what I think a critic's job is. And that's what your podcast does. So I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> that today. is such a lovely way to think of criticism because so often, even just the word criticism is. Uh, it is thought of as being critical, as yeah. being mean, as being like tearing things down. But I don't think that's what it is, and I no, love that. Not at all. I mean, I do think it's important when you do not respond to something to think about why. But I do think, like as a teacher, as a critic, it's like, like a movie comes out. And I think the best thing that you want an audience to do is like, I want to hear what someone smart had to say about this movie. I want to hear what someone yes. smart had to say about this book. Like, show me what it's doing. Show me what it's referencing. Show me how its structure is sort of invisible to me. Like, I love that. And that's what I do when I'm programming films. It's what I do when I'm writing. That's what I do when I'm teaching. So, and I love podcasts like this. So. Uh, yay. <laughs> I love that stuff. As Steph well knows, almost every time we finish a show that I really love, I'm like, I can't wait to read about this. <laughs> I want to watch so many YouTube videos about it. And then Kai is gone for three days. I yeah. start to get excited that we're about to finish it so I can start reading about <laughs> this, is, this is very true. All right. So, uh, Anthony, how would you describe Young Avengers? Please correct the mistake. No, sweetie. yeah. I think you basically had it. The Young Avengers are like an early 2000s project. Uh, Jim Chung was the artist and Alan Heinberg was the writer. Alan Heinberg, most people probably know him from like his Grey's Anatomy work. He wrote the Wonder Woman movie. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. 
like a real success story coming out of the comic books <laughs> industry where you were paid in peanuts. Um, <laughs> but uh, it comes out of kind of fandom in its own right. So the Young Avengers were conceived, you look at them and you're like, oh, I get it. Like, that one's the Hulk, that one's the Thor, that one's the Captain America allegory. But the twist in the Young Avengers pitch is that all of them are related somehow to a different superhero than they seem to be. Huh. So. So, like, the character who is being called as Guardian and looks like a Thor character is actually the son of the Scarlet Witch. And, like, the character who looks like the Hulk is actually the crown prince of the Kree-Skrull Empire. Like, that's the kind of thing that the initial pitch does. But what they end up being, and what fascinated me about the Young Avengers is, first of all, as you said, very queer. Like, a real watershed moment in representation in the big two comics. Um... I remember when I was a teenager reading it and being like, is the subtext becoming the text? I love when that happens. (laughs) Are these boys about to kiss? Uh, And that was like a huge deal for me. I mean, obviously, indie stuff will always precede the big two, but that was a big moment. Um, And the other thing I really like about the Young Avengers as a model, as I said, it comes out in early 2000s, and it really is about queer culture, a youth culture, responding to this sudden turn to militarization after mm-hmm. 9-11 and after Whoa. the Iraq war. And wow. it becomes about like, well, what happens when your predecessors have kind of become militarized and have become a society that is interested in policing the world? And like, so a lot of Young Avengers stories are about how do you respond to authority? How do you respond to surveillance states? A lot of their stories are about like registration acts and this sort wow. of thing. Wow. Um, or your parents, like, how do you deal with your mother if she's an alien or whatever? Yeah, sure, <laughs> or, typical problem. Yeah. Or if your superpowers are, for example, in the case of Patriot, um, your grandfather is the person the government experimented on before they started giving the super soldier serum to, like, more, like, classical white Steve Rogers. Like, what happens when you are the descendant of the American industrial complex's Ooh. victims? Ooh. So I love this universe as like a toy box to play in. That's incredible. Can I ask maybe a very simple uh, question uh, and maybe not relevant, but just because I don't have a lot of access to this world, but I know the MCU and like those Mm. characters. Where in relation does this start to like the, in the comic uh, timeline of like civil war and like relating to basically that turn where it's like, we want to register everyone. We don't you dare. I want to be free. (laughs) That's pretty soon after I think, I would want to check the month to months, but the Young Avengers are operational by the time of the Civil War. So uh, they don't have an ongoing book during it. And there's a there's a really funny kind of flub where they had to like retcon and explain why <laughs> this, some of the kids are on which sides of the registration okay, or not. Okay. So like almost universally, their anti-registration is basically as you'd expect based on what I was just saying. Yeah, like, yeah. they're here to they don't trust authority, and a lot of them have been given very good reasons mm-hmm. not to trust authority. Um, but yeah, that's a right. That's exactly right. Okay. That's about the era we're thinking about when. Oh. America is suddenly passing things like the Patriot Act and thinking about um, to what extent should we be using the mechanisms of the surveillance state against populaces. And so that's a lot of what Young Avengers stories are about, yeah. Dang, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Dang. Uh, So you talked a bit about when you started getting into it, uh, but what was your full origin story? Like, how did you come across it? How did you find it? Um, I was, I've been a comic book kid since... Really, I remember very distinct. The first comic book I ever read was in Canada. Uh, you're probably too young to remember this, but for a while, Skippy Peanut Butter was packaging Spider-Man comics <gasps> with your peanut butter. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> I why why couldn't I have yeah. that? I want that. <laughs> so were the, they like little ones or full no, size? No, they were ones? full size. And to be honest, I don't remember how that worked. Because, <laughs> but I had a peanut butter Skippy comic book about Spider-Man fighting. It was like done by Marvel Comics, but Canadianized. So, like, Elektra was smuggling drugs into Canada (laughs) inside of hockey pucks. Oh, my God. (laughs) Into Montreal. Yeah. Um, So, at first, I was a Spider-Man kid, but 
I was a kid when the Mar um, the X Men animated series was coming Which out. Which was yes. amazing. Show. Yeah, really, class stands up perfectly. Like it's oh, yeah? thinking about its social justice allegory so relentlessly. Um, and amazing people. You should interview them if you get a chance, the creators of that show. But um, Would happily. Oh, they, yeah, <laughs> oh my they'll God. do it. They're, they're promoting their beautiful Art of the X-Men animated series <gasps> book right now. Ooh. It's gorgeous. It's so good. And they, they're so smart. Like, when you look at their show notes for the animated series, they say things like, the first episode has to be the Sentinels. Because if you open with Magneto, the audience won't understand what he's mad about, what he's fighting for. And he will look like an extremist. And they wanted to take him seriously as a character. So if you watch the first episode of the animated series, it's actually a two-parter about Jubilee being chased by the Sentinels. Because they wanted to make it clear that this is a, an oppressed minority group. Mm. Um, but I ate that shit up when I was a kid. <laughs> like, I didn't know why I was responding to it as much as I was, but... Um, I remember I, I read to pieces one of those Scholastic Book Fair books about, oh like, God. who are the X-Men? Like, their biographies and everything. Bless the Scholastic. Yeah. They have oh, the little God. pictures and then just, like, the little exactly. stats and then the write-up. Oh, I loved that. I memorized it before I'd ever even seen some of these characters before. And then they'd show up in the cartoon and I would lose my mind. It's like, that's Lady Deathstrike. I know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the book. <laughs> so I was... I was buying comics relentlessly as a kid before I really understood why I was responding to like, obviously I'm a, maybe not obviously. <laughs> if you can't tell by my voice, I'm a queer man. And like, um, the X-Men allegory just like was catnip to me. Like I grew up in a very conservative Catholic house um, and like seeing, watching the X-Men watch TV and they would see these people talking about how they were monsters and they were destroying society and then they're just taking care of each other and just like fighting for their own survival like uh. that really <laughs> also just like sitting watching TV and somebody like you're a monster and you're like I'm just I'm chilling literally just at the end of the day like, yeah, like, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> let me watch TV I just want to kiss the boy I like and like yeah exactly that's what I loved about the X-Men but as I said like it was the 90s like uh, you couldn't say these things out loud. Yeah. You couldn't depict them. They had to be subtext, like Rogue longing for Gambit or um, the government passing all these laws against mutants or in the 90s, the legacy virus, where it's like mutants are dangerous. They are, they are infected with a disease that is killing them and it is God's punishment. Like That was the subtext of all these things. And what Young Avengers did is it finally just had two boys who were in love and like it wasn't they're not the first queer characters in Marvel comics but they were the first ones who were my age yeah they were the first ones where it's like oh my god he's like North Star is an, an older embittered man that's what's great about writing him he's like one of the survivors of the AIDS crisis one of the he is a freedom fighter who's like you kids don't know how bad it was yeah. and like the Young Avengers were the kids who didn't know how bad it was yeah, right? yeah. Like, that's what I liked about it and that is kind of one of the fantasies of Young Avengers like what if you met this like actual fairy tale prince in high school and you could you could be in love with him, you could date him. Like that was what was beautiful about the Young Avengers to me. So I came into it through that and Heinberg's initial pitch is just so good at accessing this like these deep cuts in Marvel comics lore. Like um, if you've seen WandaVision, like those kids, yep. her, her kids are in the Young Avengers. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, that's that's, that's uh, Billy and Tommy are Speed and Wiccan. Uh, oh, yeah. Around, yeah. Um, if you've seen the new Doctor Strange, like Miss America is one of the later additions to the team. So they're starting to, these characters are starting to appear in various new forms in the MCU now, but they're, some of them go back to, as I said, like, the deepest lore of Marvel Comics history, like Captain Marvel's son from like the 80s, like, um, or like I said, like Patriot goes back to really the or the the retconned re-origins of Captain America. So um, at the same time, there's like the, you know how you know how like anti-gay people are always like, why don't you just create your own characters? Like, yeah, why do you got to take these other <laughs> yeah, ones? Why you got to queer them? Like, why is Iceman got to kiss a boy when he dated Polaris? <laughs> 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 But what's great about the Young Avengers as a pitch is like they are simultaneously kind of quote unquote new characters, but also they touch the tap root of the Marvel Universe. In fact, one of them might literally be the creator of the Marvel Universe, right? So it's like, that's Whoa. the neat thing about um, this property and why I love working on it. Yeah. Um, so can you, you, you've touched on a lot of different uh, members of the Young Avengers, but can you give us like a brief synopsis of the main 
the main young Avengers? Mm, that's tough because the across the volumes, the roster does change. That makes sense uh, for Marvel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and the original four, the first four who come smashing through that rose window in St. Patrick's Cathedral are at the time Asgardian, who's actually Wiccan, who is, we slowly discover, the son of the Scarlet Witch. Um, Hulkling, who looks like he is the Hulk, but is actually the son of Captain Marvel and Princess Anel of the, the Skrull Empire. Uh, so he's a shapeshifter. Cool, um, sick. I love shapeshifters. Yeah, <laughs> he's great. The initial concept was actually that he would be um, sort of a gender ambiguous being. They weren't really... Heinberg's notes, and Heinberg's notes don't really use the language we would use now, but well, yeah. um, eventually it was simplified to just, let's just make them gay, like the audience might be a little, a lot of what was going to be the pitch for Hulkling ended up becoming the pitch for Zavin in Runaways, uh, Runaways but um, oh, that makes you've sense. seen that. Yeah. Yes, have. Um, or read the first bunch uh, of books. Who else is in that? Oh, uh, Iron Lad, who again looks like uh, I, an Iron Man character, but is actually the runaway version of Kang the Conqueror who does not want to grow up to become a villain uh, and is now basically assembled the team. And Patriot, who looks, he's wearing what looks like Bucky Barnes's old costume, but is in fact the grandson of the uh, test subject who became, the, for the serum that became the Captain America serum. Um, like that on its own, I'm like, oh, I would read so many yeah, books about that. So That's a rich. fascinating and idea. They smash into the wedding of um, uh, the sister of a character who becomes uh, Hawkeye, uh, Kate Bishop. So, oh, okay. and eventually they're also joined by Cassie Lang, who is um, Ant Man's daughter. So, if you've seen the Ant Man movie, the mm -hmm. little girl yep. that she grows up to be. A, like a size shifting character in her own right after oh, Scott Lang, R.I.P. dies. He's back, but it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> he's back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, typical. <laughs> but that's the initial six, um, and then in, in volume two, things shuffle a bit. Prodigy from the X Men joins them. Miss America joins them. Things still shift. This the West Coast Avengers are sort of adjacent to them now. So it's like it's like the X Men. It's like it is a brand that kind of has characters popping in and out. But that that taproot to the Avengers mythos remains consistent. Amazing. Very cool. Uh, and can you run us through some of the like iconic villains of this series? Oh, that's interesting because, uh, yes, I think I can. <laughs> you can also say no, that is allowed. Yeah, no, like, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting question because it does, uh, one of the things, if I ever got enough runway, would be to sort of try to bulk up their, their villains because I do think there's a lot of space for doing that. Um, in the initial story, uh, one of the villains is... As I said, this is a story that is responding to like what it means to grow up with um, parents and authority figures who seem to be troubling you and seem to be problematic and seem to be overreaching. So the initial arc um, culminates with them fighting the adult, Kang the Conqueror, that um, Iron Lad has assembled this team because he wants to be a hero. But by assembling the team, he has contradicted the timeline itself because he's no longer going to grow up to become Kang the Conqueror. So, like, literally who it is you will become is often the stakes of the series. Um, in Volume 2, we have, or not Volume 2, in the second arc of Volume 1, we find out the origin of Hulkling, and it becomes, again, another story of, like, an authority figure shows up and says, you have to do this. So the Super Skrull returns and says, you actually are not what you've been led to believe. You are not a mutant as your mother raised you. She's actually an undercover Skrull operative. You are the child who survived the destruction of the Skrull homeworld, and you must now return to space and lead the Skrulls. So, like... Wow, again, no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> again, like, this way you get co-opted into the operations of empire, right? Like, that is sort of the kind of quintessential American teen question. Like, how am I responsible for what my country is doing? Yeah. Um, so that ends volume one. Volume two actually deals with this. Uh, it's written by uh, um, Kieran Gillen, uh, and McKelvey does the art. And... Um, it's about this like intergalactic alien, interdimensional alien who is posing as Teddy's mother and is trying to kill all these teens. So again, it becomes, and it literally becomes a question of like, if you turn a certain age in that volume, you can be possessed by this character. You are vulnerable to her mind control. So the whole world turns against the teens of the Young Avengers. So that's like, yeah, that's the kind of, that's the kind of story arcs these characters get. 
So it's it, it's less villain from a it's more of a sort of us against the circumstances against the world rather than your classic like Batman rogues gallery. Exactly, it tends to be at least so far a much more reactive. It is it is more like the X Men where it's like the villain is society, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which hey, we love. Yeah, but I do think like there is space again to use Heinberg's like theory behind this stuff. There's a lot of ca- cool characters that I would love to see become the villains for these characters. So maybe someday, if you're listening, you could do that. I could do that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> okay, maybe. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about sort of the queer uh, representation? Because I understand it's uh, there's multiple queer characters, Yes. Right? In fact, in various at various moments, it seems like there has not been a straight person on the roster. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. More of this. More of this. Really doing the work for the franchise. Yeah. Really appreciate that. <laughs> more, everyone's gay unless they're said to be straight. Please. That is, that's how I write anyway. But yeah. yeah. Um, so in addition to Wiccan and Hulkling, which sort of became, because it was the early 2000s, the flagship, like, two white cis male characters. Yeah. Um, that's usually what started in the door. The other op- option is, like, the DC version, where it's, like, the bisexual titillation, where there's a lot of bisexual... DC now has this huge bench of bisexual women. Oh. Because, <laughs> because they were appealing to a straight male audience in the 90s. So now... <laughs> that's I, I so much of the 90s. <laughs> I bet they really delivered on a lot of those promises. Oh, but that's what you do. <laughs> like, that's what I like, is, like, well, in this issue of this comic, Electro says he has a crush on Spider-Man, and Sure, it's a homophobic joke, but you better believe if I ever write Electro, it's <laughs> Watch your back <laughs> coming back for that <laughs> joke. Exactly, yeah. So as soon as the door kicks open an inch, I think we should always take the mile. Oh, um, yeah. As, as queer as it is, our, especially as nerdy queer as it <laughs> is, our make it extra. All you need is the footnote. That's yes. the most, you kick the ball as far as you can, someone else will kick it further. Yeah. But um, the things we do with subtext. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to like subtext, there are various ships that are subtextually suggested. But textually, uh, Miss America Chavez, who appears in Volume Two, uh, is a lesbian character. Um, she is from a parallel dimension called the Utopian Parallel. Um, this has now been retconned, by the way. But I'll just <laughs> I'll give you her origin as it appears in Volume Two. But uh, she is basically a citizen of a universe that it seems Billy Wiccan will have slash did already create because time is funky when it comes to being a god, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense, yeah. So she is literally on a team with a character she regards as her deity where it is a universe that seems to be populated entirely by lesbians. Sorry, where is this? How do I sign up? How do I get there? Do you have directions? Can you tell me exactly what issue this is and how I find Uh, it? That's in volume two. Yeah, volume two of Young Avengers. She can literally, among like superpowers and flight, she can kick holes in dimensions. So she literally like punches or kicks... So they can teleport around and escape the characters that are chasing. That's yeah. I love this. I love She's everything great. about She's this. In, uh, she is in the Doctor Strange, the new Doctor Strange movie. This is Miss America? Miss, yeah, America Chavez. America yeah. Chavez. Okay, I'm just um, taking notes for myself. Sure. Uh, that's cool. Steph is literally writing this down in case you think we're bluffing. <laughs> yeah, no, this is legit. I don't remember things, so I have to write them down. Um, Prodigy, who joins in Volume 2, is uh, he comes out as bisexual in Volume 2 um, because he has a crush on uh, Hulkling. And he has been depowered because it's post-M-Day in the Marvel Universe. So uh, Wanda Maximoff has said the infamous phrase, no more mutants, which basically entirely depopulates the Marvel Universe for all but 200 mutants. Uh, Prodigy is among them. So he's dealing with this kind of crisis of like, who am I? And now he realizes he wants to come to, he's about to die. And he says, I'm bi. Um, after an issue I wrote, uh, he is now in some kind of relationship with uh, Speed, who is Wiccan's brother. Take uh, that mile. Yeah, yes, take, yes, yeah yes, exactly. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, trying to think who else is. I guess we should also mention that you write for this series. We I didn't talk do. about that. <laughs> I do do that, yes. Occasionally. I am freelancer, so... It's so yeah. exciting. <laughs> but you've been able to contribute to it, with, which, as somebody who was a fan first, must have felt incredible. Yeah, working on... There really is something about working on Marvel properties that... I mean, I do my own, obviously, writing. I, I've, I've written a novel. I've, I've written some uh, indie graphic novels that'll come out soon, but... Um, and those are great, and like you're your own boss on those, but there is something about touching, like I could live for 100 years and never reach, and write for 100 years and never reach the audience 
that writing on these properties lets you do. Yeah. And so whenever I do it, I do feel a real obligation to write the comics that I did not have as a kid, you know? like. What do I need to see on this page that would have changed my life when I was 15, 16, 17? Oh, I want to cry a little bit. Oh, no. <laughs> I, that's, that's why I got into TV writing is because I watched Buffy and felt exactly the same thing. Exactly. Oh, it's yeah. like the, the similar moment, I think, is the Willow Terra thing. Where it's that like, was exactly what it was. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of about the same time-ish as the first Young Avengers volume. And it is like, oh, my God, like, we're here. Like, we get to be in things now. Yeah. Um, so whenever I write these characters, I do feel a real obligation to, m my audience is always first and foremost, the kid I was, uh, what does he need? Uh, what would make, what, what does his soul need to see? Yeah. Um, and that's, that to me is the real pleasure of working on these well, characters. Well, talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to go cry somewhere. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> 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 wonderful. Tiny selves. And I think, I think that's so lovely. It's so like inspiring too, because uh, I mean, some of those stories are probably written by somebody else who was like, hey, this yeah. is stuff I haven't seen or needed to see, right? And it is a thing I think about a lot, too, uh, because there is something generational about it. Like, um, as I said, I've written The Young Avengers. I've also written um, a, a story for the X-Men, the Marvel Pride issue about Iceman. Um, and I do think I use these characters differently generationally because Iceman's story is more like mine. Like, what if you had to closet yours? What if you were raised by a piece of shit like Charles Xavier, who, <laughs> <laughs> who like is running a school where it's like, well, you better strap down your wings and hide your big feet, and we have to make sure we stay in the closet and teach everyone we're good neoliberal citizens. That was the right way to just... get by at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, so he thought. He is a very... He has he has a very sharp critic in Magneto, who is Magneto was right. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. and now we're now seeing in the X books what happens when more queer writers get into the room, and yeah. like it is very hard in the Krakoan era of X Men to imagine Mag uh, Charles Xavier's dream is long dead at this point. We're now on Krakoa living what was always <laughs> Magneto's dream, what was the Genosian dream, really. Um, Anyway, that's a digression, but the point <laughs> but is a like great one. <laughs> <laughs> when I write Iceman, it's like it kind of becomes about like what does it mean to live that way. Uh, whereas when you write Wiccan and Hulkling, it is about like what happens if when you come out, your parents just give you a hug. Like there is, which I do think is increasingly, though not always, and not always the way publishers imagine. It is more kids. Kids can come out at least to their friends now. Yeah. Whereas when I was a kid, like that was not safe. I I remember very distinctly being in high school and a bunch of I went to an all boys Catholic school, if you can believe it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow, yeah. What an environment. Um, can't imagine how that circumstance yeah. might have. And I remember distinctly this moment where my classmates were getting together to beat up this kid who had tried to kiss a boy at a party the previous weekend. Oh, and it's oh, like no. so that difference and it's odd with Wiccan and Hulkling because they did grow up when I grew up. Like literally, right. we were we used to be the same age. Yeah, <laughs> but now, but now they're in this strange liminal space where they kind of are in their early twenties now, uh, which means they grew up later, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have to kind of, as with everything in the Marvel universe, you have to kind of ride this shifting timeline right. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> um, is there uh, do you have favorite runs of, or issues that you'd recommend to new fans oh uh, yeah well I mean the sad and also great thing about the Young Avengers is there weren't there hasn't been a consistent run so it's easy to catch up if you're interested in catching up there is volume one uh, volume two the children's crusade which is um, so that's separate than volume two uh, and actually comes before it. The Josh should explain. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kingdom Hearts all over I'm again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> volume one will introduce you to the characters and give you two arcs. Uh, volume two, oh, I did it again. After volume <laughs> one comes Children's Crusade. <laughs> Children's Crusade is by the same creative team um, and is about uh, the children of the Scarlet Witch finding out about their heritage, trying to find out what has happened to Wanda Maximoff because she does disappear after the events of M-Day, um, and finding out if they are indeed her children. And it's like a great, if you love Doctor Doom, if you're interested in the Scarlet Witch, if you're interested in 
I mean, it literally has the first kiss between Wiccan and Hulkling that could be depicted on page because, again, wow. that's when we were living. Like, these characters went, like, 18 issues without making physical contact with each other. Oh. So, <laughs> um, after that is volume two, which is the uh, Kieran Gillen uh, and McKelvey run, um, which is, uh, I think it's called uh, Style Over Substance. It is that sort of... If you've read... Uh, um, uh, Wicked and Divine. If you've read The Wicked and the Divine, it has that same look and that same voice. So if you're, in, in fact, Wicked and Divine is kind of a spiritual sequel to Volume 2. Uh, more recently, you could pick up stuff that I and uh, <laughs> Al Ewing have been doing uh, and Chip Starsky, the Empire series, has kind of been an attempt to catapult these characters back onto the main stage of the Marvel Universe. Um it's about like an intergalactic war, very much in the uh, spiritual sequel to like the Kree Skrull War. It's the moment where finally Hulkling has stepped into his role as crown prince of this united empire and all of the fuzzy, difficult politicking that requires a lot of. If you love a space opera moment, <laughs> and we you know, know you do. If you love a Star War, go see a Star War. Go see Star War. Empires, where to go? Um, and then hopefully, and then out of that, you could go to do Guardians of the Galaxy if that continues to interest you. And then hopefully something soon, very soon, might happen that would pick up on some of these things. Hopefully. 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 I, Who knows? I, no, we don't know. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> no one here would know. No one knows. Uh, so <laughs> we won't talk about it further. Um, so one, uh, one thing I have a question about is... Um, so if there's a lot of crossovers in comics, and I understand yep. that there is a Runaways crossover with this as well. Yes, there is. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's a four-issue run. Yeah, if you're interested in the Runaways, it's fun to see these characters bounce off each other. Yeah. Because they do have a kind of, you mentioned you've, you've read Runaways. Uh, they have a similar, they emerge basically at the same time, and they both are obsessed with that kind of youth culture responding to early 2000s, where it's like, like, the pitch of Runaways is literally, what if your parents were supervillains, yeah. right? And, like, that was a lot of our experiences growing up, where yeah. it's like, holy shit, my, my mom is, like, super pledging allegiance to the flag or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, whatever's the um, scary thing at the time. Which is a hard thing to kind of, it is really hard to explain to young people now how crazy the world was <laughs> after that and, like, how yep. crazy North American culture was after yeah. that. And it's like... Um, and Runaways represents one response to it, and Young Avengers re represents a different one, right? Like, is there a way to reform and critique? Like, the Young Avengers can yell at Captain America, right? Like, they can interact. Right. Like, whereas the Runaways are like, well, this has to be completely abandoned. Mm -hmm. There is no saving this. What if we just squatted in the La Brea tar pits and, like, tried to survive, right? There is a more survivalist element to that. But, yeah, the, uh, the Runaways-Young Avengers crossover is a lot of fun, too, for sure. Very cool. If if there was anyone else in the Marvel canon that you could sort of do a crossover with the Young Avengers, is there anyone that you're like, oh, that would be really cool? Um, I have always want the pitch in my back pocket that I've always wanted to do, which might even just be legally impossible, <laughs> is I've always wanted to do a book called The House of M that brings the House of M into dialogue with each other, as in Magneto, as in Wanda, as in Pietro, as in Lorna, Ooh. as in Billy and Tommy and a few other characters who I won't mention now because people don't really think about them as being part of that family, but um, I've always wanted to do like a dynasty slash Gossip Girl style, <gasps> like what if these characters had to live together and what if they were in some ways a super team? Because they do have such different outlooks on life. Um, I love the idea of like grandpappy Magneto, like learning how to interact <laughs> with his <laughs> these new grandchildren, this like castle. Yeah, exactly. That's like, great. Um, I think that would be so much fun. I think that would be a dream come true to do. That would be the big event I would want to do. But as I said, like it, to the point where it's not even legally clear the mutant status of these characters. <laughs> so. Um, but, but that's that pie in the one. sky. Pie in the sky, yeah. like, holy shit, like, they're letting Anthony burn $6 billion. That would be <laughs> <laughs> They've given him the reins. He yeah. can do whatever he wants. Um, so there's a lot of talk about uh, these characters appearing in the MCU. Mm -hmm. um, this is just, just a little pie in the sky fun time. Who would be your fan cast 
for Hulking and Wiccan in Young Avengers? Oh, this is always the most dangerous question to answer. <laughs> oh, because no. there's so many considerations. Um, and I do think, like, I, I pity the casting director has to do it. I do think casting directors have the job. The other thing is I'm like, who my ideal would be that they're too young. I don't know who they are now. Yeah. Like, that actor yeah. doesn't, I don't know who that actor is. Oh, best case yet. scenario, best they're case new. Scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think there is something to that, right? Like, let don't bring a name people know to the stage. But um, I am aware and very sensitive to the fact that, like, for example, uh, Wiccan is Jewish. That is very important uh, to me and to many readers. It's important to depict that as part of his story. Um, and I do think we have a really bad tendency in casting to to uh, erase Jewish actors and characters. Absolutely. Um, so that would be a prior. That would be the note I would give to the <laughs> casting director. Like you have to do this. You have to land this. Um, it's funny because, and I don't think these these actors are, but like it is funny watching now on Netflix, Heartstopper is coming out. Oh yeah. yeah. And Heartstopper is like one of those things where you look at it and you're like, it looks suspiciously like the characters where it's like, was did this start as fan art of Wiccan yeah. and Hulkling? Like, there's quite a lot of fan yeah. art to be found online. <laughs> and there's even, even Alice Oseman has done art of the her characters, the Heartstopper characters as uh, Wiccan and Hulkling. Oh, so, I love that. So there is a kind of way where Heartstoppers feels like it's an alternate reality version of the characters. Oh, yeah. But that's Cute. the right energy is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I would want them to feel, it has to feel like young love. I don't want it to have kind of a bitter, um, uh, I want it to feel earnest. I want yeah. it to feel sweet. Yes. That's important to me. And to, like the energy they're, they're bringing to stuff like Love, Victor right now. Mm. Um, that This genre is sort of emergent right now. And I do think there will come a moment where we're over it too. Like earnestness can only take you so far, but... Um, I would Disagree. like to agree. Earnestness is amazing. <laughs> Steph, it's a big fan of earnestness. I, I love being too. earnest. I love it too. But I do think, and that's what I would want for these characters. I would want to see um, something tender for once because I do think we have a tendency to create. We're a little irony poisoned, mm -hmm. and it yeah. is something that I worry about, especially with the MCU, where it's like I hate when a character like chuckles and makes fun of the events of the story. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's what I would say. Those would be my notes to a much more competent <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm passing the file to a casting director. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean about the the earnestness and like that is such a thing in queer culture too is that for such a long time it was very like turbulent. There was yeah. so much like uh, tension and you couldn't have what you wanted and so just getting to see two yeah. characters have what they want, it's kind of lovely. Yeah, and the other thing I would say, my other note to the casting mm -hmm. director, this has always been very important to me. Um, it's important to me that Wiccan, that Billy Kaplan does not pass as straight. Um, because I think that is a kind of narrative we've gotten very bad at depicting. And when we depict it, our, we kind of sneer at. Um, it matters to me for these characters that Hulkling can pass. It is like built into the character as like a shapeshifter. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah. it's part of his metaphor. He's like the jock at school. When he comes out, it's a choice for him. It is a decision. He's like friends with the bullies at school. Like he destroys a kind of like prom king life by coming out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Billy does not pass. Billy doesn't have to come out because everyone knows. Even yes. his parents are like, we've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. But like he's legible as queer. Something about his manner. Something he's bullied for being kind of a, a like a quote unquote sissy kid. Yeah. Um, so that would be important to me. That would be something I would tell the casting director too. Like this kid needs to give other queer kids who don't pass the representation they deserve that isn't being sneered at by the story, that is sort of depicting what it means to be experience that I think is actually quite common but almost never shown in art is like the actually the thing that happened to Iceman where someone's like, you're gay. Like I... I that was my experience. The first person I found out when someone told me, you know, <laughs> oh, you're like, I was told oh. repeatedly before yeah. <laughs> I was willing to admit it. But that's my fault for buying so many vests. Uh. <laughs> Early 2000s. Not even a joke. <laughs> that's that's what happened. Um, okay, what's the nerdiest thing you've done uh, in relation to this fandom? Uh, I guess wrote it. Is... <laughs> yep. No, no, no arguments for that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that might be the answer, but 
Uh, okay, great. Do you want to move on to some hot takes? Yeah, we're going to head into some hot takes. So we uh, delved into the deep uh, reaches of the internet and also our social media uh, to get uh, listeners and oh, people's hot takes on. Is this the rapid fire? Am I like? You can, can take as long or as little as you want with the answers to this. Um, <laughs> so this one comes from uh, Brian McLaughlin. Uh, and I don't understand any of the words of this. Okay. But um, <laughs> they should have gone with J-Bone and my Archie-like pitch where the Marvel High kids rival were the kids from Xavier's school for gifted children. The Marvel High kid Kids uh, were rival the, the rival against the school for gifted what children. What is the references they gave at the top? J-Bone. Uh-huh. And an Archie-like pitch. Oh, okay. So it's like, I get that. So you kind of do like a... Yeah, that would be fun. Like a... Um, like, did you guys watch X-Men Evolution? Like the kids in school kind of thing? I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. Uh, oh, God, before your time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. That would be fun. I, but then there is this tendency... Um, Avengers characters never come off well against the X-Men. Mm. It's just sort of a perennial problem you have. It's basically the result of a shared universe. Mm. Like, as soon as you create a story where there are mutants who are, like, this permanently oppressed minority, the question always becomes dangerous <laughs> of, like, why isn't Captain America doing anything about yeah. that, right? Like, most infamously, there's the moment where... Um, Emma Frost confronts Iron Man and when Iron Man during the registration stuff and is like, where were you where when our babies were burning? Right? Like that's Ooh. the question. And that's like Ooh, there's that's a hard <laughs> question to answer. And it it is always a risk of like putting these characters in parallel to each other. Like what I wouldn't want and what I would worry and ask this person about is like, how do you keep it from becoming the greasers versus the socias? Where it's mm, like, right. how do you <laughs> how do you keep it from being the X-Men are like the oppressed kids and the Avengers are like the cliquey um, like, privilege. Yeah. yeah it kind of takes a shine off them a little bit. Yeah. For sure. Which can be done, but like that would be my concern. <laughs> like yeah. I don't want, I don't want Wicked and Oakling to be the bad guys in this story, yeah. right? By so, virtue of just being in a different exactly. set of circumstances yeah. and universe. And actually I do think one of the fun things about uh, Wiccan as a character is that he is in many ways so privileged. Like he grows up on the Upper West Side um, whereas his brother, they're, they're reincarnated, it's very tricky. Um, <laughs> But his brother, Speed, identical twin, but raised in what has been suggested a much less privileged position in New Jersey with, like, parents that seem to have not been great, who ends up in, like, juvenile detention, a weird juvenile detention facility that seems to be some kind of superhero <laughs> maxi prison. But, sure, of course. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But, uh, does um, Xavier has a, have a side, like, juvie? Side hustle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he runs Probably, school. He actually and, does. He, yeah. uh, Moira McTaggart's island is very frequent. Like, Proteus is kept there for years. Um, oh. Again, the, the manifold sins of Charles Xavier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you talked about loving Spider-Man, and this, uh, this one oh. is just a random one I found on the internet. Uh, it says, I'm down to see Peter interact with the other young heroes, but I don't think he should join the team. I feel like Peter's presence would overshadow them, and I think the team's dynamic works well without him. It would be like having tons of amazing, cohesive, fresh new basketball talent on a team, and then Steph Curry joins the team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do wonder if this question is about the MCU Spider-Man. I assume. Oh, much, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love... First of all, I love Peter Parker. I think he's one of the greatest characters Agreed. in fiction. I love truly. him. Do you have a preference over your Peter Parkers from the MCU? As a side question. Oh, you mean of the three now yeah. that we've done? I feel like I really like the cute, sweet Tom Holland version. Agreed. But it doesn't, it's not really him from the comics. Like, Agreed. It's kind of a new character, whereas the Andrew Garfield feels like Spider-Man. Like, Agreed. Like, mm. Every time he's on screen, he really did steal that last movie. Like, Absolutely. Just... Completely agree. As soon as he showed up, I was like, whoa, this is fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think he was better than the Spider-Man movies he was in. Yeah, yeah, that is, yes, he is, he was really perfectly cast. He has the kind of, um, even his like balletic physicality yeah. is right. Um, and he captures that kind of, he's good at capturing that kind of Steve Ditko-y, um, there is something of like the angry incel about the early Spider-Man comics where he oh. is kind of chip on his... I always remember that episode of 30 Rock where Liz Lemon remembers 
high school and we realized she was the bully. Like she was the nerdy bully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so and if you read the old Stan Lee Ditko stuff, that's kind of Peter's energy. Like that's why he has to learn the lesson of great power. Great power means great responsibility, right? Like yeah, it's a smart um, ass. Yeah, he kind of is. Yeah. And Garfield has that where you root for him, but he does kind of mouth off. He does yep. kind of piss people off. A little bit of a holier than thou exactly. kind of feeling to him. Yeah. yeah. And the anxiety of him. Tom Holland's Spider Man doesn't feel as anxious to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, completely agree. Yes. <laughs> Andrew Garfield just kind of pours that out of him as Peter Parker. Precisely. Like, eh. Yeah. The yep. same kind of energy he's doing in Tick, Tick, Boom, where it oh, is kind yes. of like. So good. Yeah. Kind of frenetic. Like, I have too much going on in here. Mm -hmm. And too many responsibilities. And my the, actually, the crisis of Tick, Tick, Boom kind of is a Spider Man crisis where it's like, my show, but but my friend is sick, but my girlfriend is dumping me. Like that is, Spider-Man is always, he can't be, he can't do everything. And that was kind of what Ticket Boom was about. If there was ever a Spider-Man the Musical, they should really take that. <laughs> but too bad that there wasn't a Spider-Man the too Musical. Too bad nobody died making a Spider-Man Musical. Too bad that never happened and we'll never talk about it. Please listen to episode um, one of this show. <laughs> But uh, I would love to see, for example, Spider-Man be a mentor to the Young Avengers yeah, that would because be neat. he understands what it is to be involved with the Avengers but critical of their project, right? He sort of learned that lesson very the hard way during the Registration Act where it's like he came out, he got all the, the Iron Man funding, and it completely fucked up his life, right? Um, and he's also just a good teacher. I love when Spider-Man's a teacher. I love my favorite adult Spider-Man is always like science teacher Spider-Man. Yeah. Like I don't really love when he's like a billionaire or whatever. It's not what his story is about. And like a poor, broke ass buying the chalk for the classroom Spider-Man. Oh, that's correct. He just loves me. science. <laughs> yeah. He has an Amazon wish list that he gets celebrities to retweet. <laughs> also, I don't know if you've played it, but if you like teacher Spider-Man, highly recommend the Miles Morales game because he oh, like yeah. appears as a mentor a lot in that, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, and that I would love. I would love to see Spider-Man. Like, I agree that I understand from a branding space where you would be like, Tom Holland is the Young Avengers, but it's not what that's about. Although actually, as of his last movie, he's kind of in the right space finally for that because mm. oh. finally Tom Holland's Spider-Man is freed from the like, my best buddy, the billionaire who gave me these drones. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that is kind of a bold position to be coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the he is now actually lived the storyline from the comics where it's like it, he's he's made the wish that ruined his life and now what? Yeah. Uh, that's a long answer too. No, it's a great answer. <laughs> All right, okay. We're moving on to the next one. So, Cassie was overshadowed by other members of the team and was either forgotten about or never that compelling. Stature has certainly built up a huge fan base in her own right, so it seems odd that mu as much criticism has been leveled at her during her time with the group, as after she left the team, Cassie defined herself as a solo hero with clear motivations and compelling conflicts. Can you explain to me what I just read ah. and uh, your response? <laughs> yes, I agree mostly with that. Um, so Stature is uh, now Stinger, I think, where is the current title we're using for her. But um, that's Cassie Lang. Cassie Lang is the daughter of Scott Lang, which if you've only seen MCU stuff, that's Ant-Man. That's like, uh, what's his name? Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's yep. daughter, yeah. The never aging man. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so Cassie Lang is his daughter. Uh, she is actually, of all the characters we've talked about, Probably on, I would want to check this, but I think she is the earliest appearing, unless you count Kang the Conqueror as an appearance of Iron Lad. Cassie Lang has been, we've literally watched her grow up in the, in the Marvel comics. Like we've seen her since she was five. Um, she, uh, she grew up kind of hanging around the Baxter building with the Fantastic Four. Like she's actually been in the Marvel universe for like 40 years now. Uh, and it's true that she's probably had the least amount to do in the afterlives of the characters since. Like, kind people kind of know about Hawkeye. They kind of know about Kate yeah. Bishop. They kind of, Cassie has never really had her own kind of storyline. Um, I also would, I would also like to see her have a story. <laughs> um, and I have some thoughts about that. Precisely because she does sort of touch this this really old amount of history in the Marvel Universe. Um, but I agree. Yeah, let's give let's give Cassie a chance. She deserves it. I love a. She's kind of a. She's a good girl. That's kind of the thing that's fun about her. She's like the responsible daughter. She's got that. What's that line from that Taylor Swift song? 
uh, a careless a careless man's careful daughter. Whoa. Like that's that's Cassie Lang. Like Whoa. Scott Lang's kind of like a ne'er do well rogue, and Cassie's his responsible. If you like Cassie, you should read the recent Ant Man series by uh, Zeb Wells. It's very funny. Um, it's and it's very much this like what does it mean to be like the daughter of a divorce where your dad's kind of a loser but you love him so much. Uh, this is a bit of a flippant question, but I like it. Um, I wonder how Billy feels about uh, that of the two of them, Teddy's perceived as the hot one, and he's the plain-looking dude who lucked out and traded up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's um, that's what I, that goes to what I was saying about uh, Teddy passes. Teddy is the classical, like, quote, unquote, and again, the extremely problematic term, the all-American jock, right? Mm -hmm. And it is a mode we kind of, the question becomes like, how much has he chosen that? Because he is a Skrull, and Skrull physiology is different. It, they don't revert, like if you knock out a Skrull, it doesn't turn back into a Skrull. It, like, they don't really have real forms, mm. um, which interests me uh, a lot as a character beat. Like there's obviously a lot of interesting queer stuff to do with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there is something really fascinating about that uh, as, a, as a modality, the way it would change the way you go through life. But we have seen issues, for example, in one of his origin stories, Young Avengers Presents, um, he, we see he literally bulks himself up between panels. Like his muscle mass is something he chooses. He is in some ways performing that jockness. Um, but this goes to what I was saying earlier. Like there is something about Billy where he doesn't pass. There is something about his, like, his appearance, his uh, mode of going through the world that people read as less than. Um, and so that's how I feel about it is like, well, what does it mean to be the, the person who is maybe skinnier than they want to be, who is moving their hands more than they want to be, who's more femme presenting than they want to be? Um, how comfortable is he in his own skin is a question I find interesting and fascinating, especially since he is a reality warper, right? Like he can rewrite the world as he sees fit. Um, and what does it mean to feel like, he's a very anxious character. I like that he struggles with his mental health as a character on the page. Like his anxiety and his depression are, like when you asked about supervillains, like one of the supervillains they fight in uh, Al Ewing's uh, run is actually sort of this manifestation of his own anxiety. And when the when this like Lovecraftian monster confronts him about that, he's like, that's it? Like. <laughs> I say meaner things than that to myself every day. <laughs> like, oh, like, relatable content. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that's how I feel about it. it. I do think he thinks about it. I do think he's aware of the fact that people are like, they see him as less than. It is, it is a permanent part of his life now because they're in space and Hulkling is literally the crown prince of two of the great empires of three galaxies. And Wiccan is his plus one. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I think that is um, that is a very real queer experience, too, of, like, you show up at the wedding that's your partner's family's wedding, and no one treats you as real. No one treats yeah. you as the your real. Friend. Yeah, your friend, exactly. And I think there is something. Al Ewing gave him the title of uh, prince consort, king consort, um, that has a real political valence to it. It means he's not actually legitimate. Like, there is no way that if Hulkling died, Wiccan ascends to the throne. He's not yeah. regnant, right? Yeah, um, he's always tied to... Exactly. What does it mean to be the plus one is now kind of his interesting storyline, which is funny because for decades, it was Wiccan and his sidekick, Hulkling. Huh. So when, when Al did this kind of empire thing, he really catapult... Like, in the issue I did, Emperor Hulkling... We really find Hulkling on a couch, which is where he feels like spiritually he's been for the previous 15 years. He was sort of, he was there, but he was the pretty one. He was yeah. the one who shows up while Wiccan has a storyline. So it's been fun to switch their roles for a bit, even though the audience sometimes gets upset about it. It's like, but that's the point, right? Like, yeah. I want you to think about how annoying that would feel. Yeah, and in different spaces, like exactly. who, who has the visibility and who has the power. Precisely, yeah. Oh, now I'm just thinking about what my little anxiety manifestation that I would have to fight would look like. Oh, I'm stressed out about it. Okay, how about this one? Um, I can't wait for the next gay Marvel wedding. I'm hoping it's Carolina and Nico. Oh, yeah, that's, those are the Runaways characters. Um, yeah, that, that relationship interests me. Uh, it's not one I've written, but it is fun and fraught. It has a lot 
it's funny how often the Runaways parallel the the Young Avengers because it does kind of have. It is a space princess, like the sunny, she's literally, her power is to look like a rainbow. Like, it's the sunny, bright character. I really liked her. And this anxious, soft goth character, (laughs) right? Like, that's (laughs) Nico, where it's like, there is something visually really interesting about that, but also as a personality bounce, I find that interesting, too. Um, I would like them to grow up a little more as characters before they got married. I don't feel like every queer couple needs to get married right off. I do think it, I find it a little bit like, I understand it from straight writers. I understand why straight writers want to give queer characters happy endings. But it also feels like the goal of heterosexuality is like, you get the married, you get (laughs) the kids, you get the house. And for a long time, I think it was discussed as the the singular goal for gay people that once we get married, we're a-okay. Yeah. Nothing after that. (laughs) And uh, there is, and well, I love, I actually love seeing like domestic drama. I love seeing like, well, what does it mean to have a baby and all these sorts of things? But I do think there is a tendency to give queer characters happy endings, but what you've done is given them an ending. And now it's like, well, okay. Where does where has that character been since? Like right, mm, like right. they're that, so that's always a risk, uh, and it's why I'm happy to see that Wiccan and Hulkling are still getting stories. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, this is last hot take, um, just because they talk about this. A lot of people are excited about the idea of a cinematic adaptation, mm. um, understandably. Uh, but this one is Kate makes a lot of sense as the leader and financier of the team if they do a cinematic adaptation. Uh, at present, yes, I think that is true. Um, she's also, I mean, they've cast, um, let me see, one, two, three, well, they've cast actually a lot of the cast, now that I think about it. Patriot has appeared, um, Kate has appeared. She's certainly, if they needed to be bankrolled, which I'm not sure every superhero team does, uh, she does make sense. I enjoy Kate as a character to think about privilege, right? Like, what does it mean where you're from wealth? And um, I particularly enjoy that her mother is a vampire right now because I do think that's a great, <laughs> that is a great metaphor for like that sort of class predation that mm. Kate has to struggle with. Whereas, do not disagree. Yeah. <laughs> whereas her mentor Clint is like literally from like dirt poor, right? So um, she's also the oldest of the character, of the actors they've cast. So that makes sense. She holds her own. She's a great... Great actress. I, yeah. I, I agree. That's was she the pick. one that looked back at the director when someone asked a question about the casting for Young Avengers and she was like, hmm? Uh, and I was like, no, <laughs> shut up. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Turn your face. Yeah, I suspect. I am not in any way linked to the MCU stuff. I do not know what they're planning, but they do. It is <laughs> Don't in, at him. Yeah, it is interesting to see how many of the actor, of the characters have started to appear. Um that and, does seem like a pretty sure sign that it's yeah. coming. Yeah. Which well, is the opposite of her comic book origin. Like, she really is, like I said, the first four does not include her. They crash her sister's wedding, and they kind of ruin her sister's wedding. Oh. And she becomes the responsible one, but she kind of bullies her way into the team because she doesn't have superpowers. Um, and it is funny that now in the com- in the TV show, she knows she's good friends with, a, with an Avenger, right? Like, that was a very late development in the comics, so... The landscape is completely different. Last but not least, do you have any hot takes that you would like to share in this exact moment? Ooh, uh, always risk. I feel like I've done a lot of hot taking, haven't I? Absolutely, you have. Maybe there's one we haven't touched on. mm, You're like, this has to happen. I I have a lot of opinions about what has to happen, but when I get them, I put them in a word (laughs) doc. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. You, you don't get to hear that for, for nothing right now. Not on not on this show, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, what is it the Joker says in Dark Knight? Uh, if you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We have a Patreon, by the way. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, okay, great. So not, nothing you'd uh, bring up right now, but like, you know, wait for it, maybe. I have, yes, I have quite a few hot takes. I hope I can bring them to you in a more finished form. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> Looking forward to that potential outcome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, at the end of every episode, we do like to share our micro fandoms for the week, uh, which we will do in just a moment. But before we do, uh, we're going to talk about how, in fact, you can support the show. Um, so there are many free ways uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can reach out and follow us or send us compliments at Fandom Show Pod, um, or you can also email us. Steph, do we know the email now? Uh, Cardboard Sword Collective at gmail.com. There that- we go. 
Um, if you have uh, ideas for future episodes and you want to catch up on past episodes or just want to say hi, you can visit us at thefandomshow.com. Uh, please tell all of your nerdiest and non-nerdy friends about us, your friends, your family, your uh, dog. I don't know. Tell people about us if you like us. Uh, you can get on your podcast provider of choice, though, ideally Apple Podcasts, and do a little rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, just a one-sentence review even helps us. Uh, anything helps us uh, rise up in the charts. And that means we can have more fan fans. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, you don't have to. This podcast will always be free. But if you have a little extra weight in your pockets and you want to let it loose somewhere, turn it into digital currency and find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the fandom show. Uh, for a couple of bucks a month, you can get episodes early. You get a shout out on an episode. You can submit hot takes for episodes. You can read our nerds letter where I s summarize a bunch of the cool things that I found on the internet and that are going on in the world related to nerdy stuff. It's awesome. Uh, and yeah, check that out. And thank you so much to uh, one of our new patrons, Chris Hanks. Thanks, Chris Hanks. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for supporting uh, this fun little endeavor. You rock. We're a fan of you. We're a fan. Absolutely. We're your fan fan. Um, and our theme song is by Yusu Kim. Uh, so now we're on to our micro fandoms. Guy, I'm going to start with you on this one. What What are you fanning over this week? Hey, have you all seen Severance? Because if not, you should watch Severance. <laughs> because I want to talk to some more people about Severance. <laughs> it was very fun. It's a very good show. I recently, uh, because I did the thing, as we discussed earlier, as soon as I finished Severance, I decided to go read about Severance at length. Mm. Um, and uh, a couple people are calling it sort of like the first sh big show of the Great Resignation. Um, so if you're sort of interested in the idea of discussing wh what work, what role work has in our lives and like how much of ourselves do we sell to companies and sort of all of these very interesting questions, uh, this show does like a very, very fun, fun job of exploring that. Um, and just from a writing perspective, I, I feel like, I don't know, it's a tight show. I really enjoyed it. So fun. that's what I'm nerding out about right now. Uh, Anthony, what are you uh, nerding out oh, about? Oh, um, I think I have two. Uh, yeah, do it. No uh, rules. This week I burned through Our Flag Means Death. <gasps> yes! <laughs> ah! I think I messaged you when you just said like, hey, OMFT. I, like, ah! I want to talk to you about this. We also yeah, like that. That <laughs> was so good. I loved that show. And like, puts the lie to a lot of the things we've been talking about where it's like, you can just put queer people on in movies and TV and people will watch it, right? Yeah. Like, all these studio anxiety we've been seeing for decades is like, nope, like, people will love it. People will watch it. Um, can't wait for that to be renewed. And last night, uh, we went to the movies and walked past all the people seeing Doctor Strange and walked into <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes! So was just amazing. Incredible um, film. So smart. Uh, so fun, so wonderfully stupid at various moments. <laughs> you will cry as two people with hot dog hands make out like it is so one, great. One of the best things, you'll want to be a rock. I, yeah. I, I know that doesn't make sense this to you right now. This all sounds like gibberish, but trust us. Yeah, it's so good. Those are those are my two, I think. Oh, wonderful. Steph? Um, so my fanning of the week is based on, actually of another podcast on our network, uh, I Hate It But I Love It, did an episode on the Chipmunk Adventure. If you've never seen The Chipmunk Adventure, let me tell you. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I uh, haven't watched it in a while. Uh, and revisited it because Kaya has never seen it. And we were going to listen to this episode. I was told it required my full attention. Yes, Kaya <laughs> was going to play Hades uh, while watching. I was like, no, you have to watch The Chipmunk Adventure because this movie is a fever dream. And it is. It absolutely is. And it just some of the banging songs, there's a song, Girls of Rock and Roll. They're dancing on the Parthenon. It's amazing. Is this one of the CG ones? No. So this is back in uh, late 80s. Uh, and they go into a great discussion about this on I Have Violet, so I won't reiterate too much about it. But basically, the chipmunks and the chipettes, uh -huh. the lady chipmunks, because right. um, <laughs> you had to have it, uh, are sent on an adventure around the world in hot air balloons by two rich siblings who are using them to smuggle diamonds in exchange for cash. And if Whoa. you think that doesn't make sense, you wait till you, you, wait watch, till you watch the, the movie. movie. <laughs> I will preface it as deeply problematic. Because it was made in the 80s, and it's about a bunch of kids traveling the world. So you can imagine the different cultures sure. they experience and how yucky that is. Um, but honestly, 
fascinating to Have watch. Have you seen the episode of the Chipmunks where they bring down the Berlin Wall? Sorry, <laughs> no. what? I'm sorry, what did you just say? <laughs> Chipmunks. I have it stuck in my head. And it was, it aired before, like it aired while there was still a Berlin Wall. Oh my God. Yeah, and they sing a song that I still cry when I hear about like the wall coming down. And the Chipmunks do, basically the premise is that... The, <laughs> The chipmunks are invited to Berlin to put on a concert. Yeah, because um, they're the biggest act in the world. Yeah, of course. And Alvin ends up on the other side of the wall, <laughs> and they're trying to reunite the chipmunks oh with Alvin. God. And so at the concert, on both sides of the wall, the crowd sing together, and the wall tumbles down. And then at the end, I don't want to spoil the ending, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's wild. What were the chipmunks doing in the eighties? Also, Dave, how did you lose him in Berlin? Like, Dave, I, like, Dave, Dave is, is an irresponsible. He's a, he's a rough parent. They have also, to take those kids away from Dave. He's yeah. not. but he's a single parent trying his best to raise some chipmunk children. He yeah. has anger issues that I worry about. I know. Poor Albert. <laughs> we're all worried about the chipmunks. Okay. So yeah, what, watch that. If watch both of those, I'm going to go home and watch that weird Berlin Wall version. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for teaching us about the chipmunks and so many other things. Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on most things at, uh, well, first of all, anthonyolivera.com. That's one good place. Um, but also Mia Koopa, which is a bad Latin and Super Mario joke. <laughs> M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. Uh, that's Twitter, that's Instagram, that's whatever. Whatever platform we all go to now that Elon Musk owns everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where I am. Amazing. And anything you want to plug that... Nothing I can plug right now. Perfect. So stay Perfect. tuned. Hit up those two places and just pay attention. Yeah, pay close attention. Yes. Something will occur in the future. Yeah. Excellent. Well, till next time, love the things you love and tell everybody about them. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com. 